Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and with me today to talk about <laughs> all things that went on in, in, in on Capitol Hill this week, Michael Zeldin. Uh, former federal prosecutor and John Bennett, editor at large at CQ Roll Call. And before we cut to the break to you know sell the you know pay the bills, uh, John, I have to tell you that I was uh, in the uh, in the uh, Capitol for uh, partially for the vote, and on C-SPAN they were plugging your uh, outlet for breaking some kind of news. So Mazel Tov to that for you know give, giving a heads up. So yeah, listen, team- we're gonna. Our team did a great job. Our team did a really great job. Our team that was in the Capitol for, you know, all the turns of the screws, and there were a lot of turns. Uh, they did a fantastic job. They put, they posted uh, a lot of great stories with a, just a lot of really good old school shoe leather reporting. So kudos to them. Amen and woo hallelujah. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about this week on the Capitol and how we ended up with Kevin McCarthy. Stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and once again, Happy New Year to everyone, and we're here to talk about the fight and the battle for the Speaker of the House, which be which we saw unfold in 15 rounds this week of voting. Not since, and I, you know, I had to go and check the history on this, of course, not since it's been 100 years since we had a multiple vote, uh, but, you know, the 36th Congress in 1859, that tells you how long ago we went farther than the uh, 68th Congress in 1923 went to nine rounds in the balloting, and you couldn't get uh, any deeper than that until the 36th Congress in 1859, right before <coughs> the Civil War, when William Pennington was elected the Speaker of the House from New Jersey on the 44th ballot. Uh, so that's it's a bit of history that we've seen this week, and uh, scary history at that. So I'm going to unpack, start with how it all began. We also we all know that um, the uh, Republicans were projected to win big in the midterm elections, which would have negated any chance that the Democrats could have any influence in, in Congress. But it didn't happen that way. Of the 434 uh, seats in Congress, 212 went to the Democrats. And so the Republicans barely had a majority. To win the speaker, they needed 218 votes, and this gave the fact that uh, you it was so close and the Democrats were so united with 212 votes, they were always going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries. So this gave Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, and Louis Gohmert, and even Jim Jordan the chance, the extreme right of the extreme right, to have a say and to manipulate what happened in the vote for uh, Speaker of the House. Thus, that sets the stage as they try to whittle away any influence that the majority would have so that the minority could rule, which is where we were at when we started this, <clears throat> the vote. And I, I guess I'll start, Michael, I there are a lot of people, I want to start with you because there are a lot of people who believe that... Um, that all of this is constitutionally mandated and that it's it, and I've even heard, you know, prosecute the Republicans for what they did. But not let's 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 clear the road there. 
Nothing that they did was anti-Constitution. Nothing that they did was prosecutable. This is how the House operates. Yes? I believe that's right. I think that they operated within the constitutional structure and the rules of the House. Uh, the, they, not, they may not like what they saw, you know, the proverbial sausage being made, but that's the way it's made. And it's worked pretty effectively for most of the history of the country, um, but it didn't work as effectively this time. Although you could argue that it actually did work. Um, it, it, it did follow the rules. It just, you know, from, a, from the standpoint of the Republicans, um, pretty ugly but you know it's sort of, it wasn't like a constitutional crisis it wasn't no. like the constitutional processes failed and we didn't know where we would turn the constitutional processes were working um they just weren't working out as you know republican messaging would have liked it to have worked out um from from the outset and you know that's life <laughs> and john you you've covered capitol hill for a long time. So let's yeah. unpack that part of it. So there was nothing that was done that was prosecutable, nothing that was done that was against the rules, but it did expose the Republicans. In fact, at one point in time of the 15 times that someone came up to nominate <clears throat> McCarthy for you know the speakerhood, someone said, I can't even remember who it was, you know, the American public will remember who who is united and we're all united here. And we're all, you know, there's this is all policy. Nobody cares, you know, we're not the enemy. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we're going to not have ad hominem attacks. Screw the Democrats. They're, they're assholes. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, you know, American public will remember who's united and who's standing behind them. Well, I think that's very true, but I don't think that boils down the Republicans. Were you surprised by any of this? And how did you see it when it unfolded? Yeah, I, I covered Congress for a long time. I covered Congress uh, this week. I was on the Hill <laughs> in the Capitol uh, a couple days uh, this week during all this drama. I was outside. Uh, what was not what was t the speaker's suite and uh, Mr. McCarthy was occupying it all week. So I, I was <laughs> one of the reporters staking that out and, and talking to I mostly talked to team McCarthy members. And I was surprised how this played out. Absolutely. Um, I always thought it could go to 10, 12, 15 uh, different ballots. What surprised me was the gross spectacle Um of it all. And, and really what I mean, I mean, you know, arguments on the floor between members, we've seen that, you know, the affordable care act, for instance, we've seen on spending bills, um, you know, people get emotional and, and they have words and they almost come to fisticuffs. There's a lot of testosterone in the house chamber. That's never changed over the years. There's less, there's much less testosterone now, but anyway, the surprising part, <laughs> aggravated by alcohol, but that's, well, that's always a possibility, especially when you take a six hour break yeah. uh, like they did Friday. <laughs> but what the surprising part to me was how much power Kevin McCarthy gave away to the conservatives. I wrote in uh, my newsletter, CQ Afternoon Briefing, subscribe today, um, <laughs> that what was happening was nothing short of a sell-off of power. Kevin McCarthy traded authorities of the office. He stripped down uh, He stripped down the speakership. He gave up a list of things to conservatives that really, you know, things that, that helped the speaker get things done, frankly. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, former two-time speaker, of course, she, uh, one of our reporters caught Pelosi uh, during a break in the hallway, and she said, this is the shrinking speakership. And that that was Wednesday, I believe, that she said that it shrunk further. I made a list here on this here Go notepad of what he gave up. It goes to a third page. Go tell us some of what he gave up. Right. So the motion to vacate, which is a a, a, a tool that members have to to try to to force a vote to remove any speaker, including this one. Um, you know, it was in the hundreds. Pelosi changed the rule, um, and now it's down to one member can on the floor make a motion and trigger a vote to remove a speaker. And depending on the day of the week and what's going on on the Hill, you know, that could pass. <laughs> that could pass. Just people could be tired and, and frankly pissed off at, at the speaker for any number of reasons. And, and boom, you don't have a speaker. He also gave up. Could uh, I just stop John and ask you one question that could be 
any member, right? It doesn't have to be a Republican who asks right. for that. Correct. Right. Okay. Because yeah. I was thinking that, you know, if you had some renegade Democrat, every morning he walks in, he says, I, I want to vote on this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And if, if a Democrat did that, uh, tactically, knowing, let's say, 20 conservative members were angry with McCarthy, they could maybe maybe the rebels would vote with the Democrats and oust McCarthy. That's on the table. That could happen on any Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday that they happen to be Five here. minutes after they convene. <laughs> if they don't pass the rules package Monday night, well, they can't do that because that's in the rules package that they're voting on Monday night at 6.30. So maybe McCarthy played us knowing played everybody if the rules package fails they have to they'll have to get democrats help to pass a rather generic rules package the motion to vacate would stay in the hundreds and if that happens McCarthy has pulled off a victory out of nowhere but i suspect the rules package will pass with republican well, votes he also well, gave let me up stop you there cuz i did i did speak to a couple of democratic uh leaders that and I even tweeted it out. I said a senior Dem member has shared that moderate Republicans have reached out, suggesting that if McCarthy wins by making these Freedom Caucus concessions, some moderates will work with the Dems to vote down that rules package. So that will be interesting to see. I think how that play. And, and I yeah. know that there are at least. Well, I know Rogers, Dunn, um, who else? Uh, who was a, a one guy who was all hacked off on the floor besides rogers there's there's i've identified maybe five or six that might do that yeah so that uh, that will be an interesting floor fight on monday night it will be and congressman bacon of course he's team bacon, mccarthy yeah. bacon and, he's and done been, he's been very upset all week yeah uh, yeah i thought so, at one point in time bacon was just going to take a baseball bat and come running run through the halls of congress and swing then <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say i was there one day in in the halls before you go on and i just have to to add this I have never seen anyone run out of a Congress member's office before, and it looked like their hair was on fire. They were literally screaming, running down the hall. Ah! And I and I said, you know, I, I stuck around this place for 38 years just to see that. But anyway, right. go ahead. So what else did he give up? McCarthy also agreed to let some of these rebels, some of these Freedom Caucus uh, Congress folks onto the rules committee and that's a very obscure committee that um only you know really inside congress people um and folks like cq roll call and and other publications pay attention to but that's how you get bills on the floor you go to the rules yep. committee you write a rule you can put all kinds of things in a rule well the freedom caucus has felt uh like speakers past have stacked the rules committee with their loyalists at making it easy to pass these especially these large spending bills that's a lot of what the Freedom Caucus, uh, they're objecting to. They want big spending cuts. They don't want these omnibus bills, you know, right before the holidays. Like they just they just passed a $1.7 trillion omnibus. Um, so now how Tom Cole, who I think is a very reasonable Republican uh, lawmaker, I've interviewed him a number of times, wrote a profile once upon a time uh, about Tom Cole, and he's going to be the rules chair. Well, now he's going to have to deal with some of these Freedom Caucus folks. And, you know, I think they're going to struggle at times getting bills out of the Rules Committee. They're going to send bills back to other committees uh, for further work. Uh, and that's going to be a huge issue. And again, that's a very inside Washington thing. But they got to run on something in 2024. And, and this is going to make it harder uh, to pass some of those bills. In a big concession, which I don't even know, I mean, ethically, this is a, a big question mark for me. I guess legally we'll find out. McCarthy also agreed to pull a political action committee called the Congressional Leadership Fund that's loosely aligned with Republican leaders out of open primaries in safe Republican districts. That's a huge deal. That, yes. that, that PAC raised over $270 million. They spent $270 million last cycle alone, and they're not going to play in safe primaries. Richard, uh, uh, Cong former Congressman Dent was on CNN talking about this. He says this ensures now that the that the Republican caucus will get even more Trumpy, even more Freedom Caucusy, because McCarthy's not going to have that tool or whoever is speaker come 2024, November 2024. They're not going to spend. They're not going to buy ads. They're not going to buy digital ads. They're not going to 
do whatever the hell they do on on Facebook and and other social media sites. So that that's a huge one, and that's a weird. He traded a that's a major political concession for a government position. Well, and, and I also asking, I think it puts them. Uh, as I was speaking on uh, TV with uh, 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 Chris Cuomo the other day, I, I I believe this puts them in great danger of. It may bring more Trumpers in, but it's going to mean I think. Uh, a threat against Republican held districts against with Democrats stepping forward. I think, I think they cut their nose despite their face. It will definitely in some places you'll see a Democrat beat a very MAGA candidate. It's, it's a huge one. I don't know if that rises to the level of an ethics committee investigation. If you know, when and if Democrats would ever take back over McCarthy might not even be a member by then he's going to be speaker. That's what he's always wanted. You know, he was posing under the nameplate early Saturday morning, um, so he's got what he wants. We'll see how long he sticks around. He also Can I ask a up- question about that one, John? Go, Michael. So there, this is a PAC, and PACs um, are not government entities. They're they're private entities. So how is it that um, and it, it, this PAC? It would seem to me McCarthy can say, "I promise that this PAC won't spend money this way," but if the leaders of that pack, which I assume McCarthy cannot be, um, or or if he is, does does he get to control what the pack does, or is there an independent pack board? How how I mean, is it a is it a real promise or a paper promise? Do you think? We'll find out. I don't. I with the problem is if it's a paper promise, they're going to make him pay they'll just go do the motion to vacate and and try to get him out of there if if he starts uh if the pack starts spending in these open primaries and and those will get underway it won't be that long so um i think some of the, i think mccarthy intends for some of these to be paper promises but he's got such a small margin to deal with that he's going to have to deliver on most of this and we'll find out the first test of whether these are paper promises will be sometime in the summer, maybe early fall, uh, when Congress has to raise the debt ceiling. And and these conservatives do not want to do that. If but what they've proposed to do that are big cuts to Social Security and and uh, and and Medicare. And just this morning, Catherine Clark, who's uh, the new number two Democrat in the House, was on uh, was on one of the Sunday shows saying. Uh, that essentially the conservatives are already holding seniors hostage in return for raising the debt ceiling. How McCarthy handles that, I think, will tell us if he's the speaker this time next year or. Well, well I think how he handled the, this election will show us that he's not going to be speaker very long. But right. what, let's go back to what else did they give up? Anything else that we need to touch before they, we move yeah, on? He, agree, he agreed to <clears throat> changes in in not only how they write budget and spending bills, but McCarthy agreed to cap all of their uh, coming appropriations bills for next fiscal year at funding levels back when the Biden administration took over. So those are fiscal 2022, 20, maybe 2021. It's not clear. But anyway, those are cuts because everything's gone up. I mean, defense spending has gone up under Biden. Uh, they want to cut defense spending, too. And that's going to yeah. be a big that's going to be a big problem with folks like Mr. Rogers, Mike Turner from uh, Ohio, he's going to be the Intel chair. Uh, Mike McCall from Texas, the foreign affairs chair. You know, and and a lot of defense Republicans are going to lose their minds when these when these guys come for the defense budget. That is always a very again, it's very inside Washington, but that's going to be an ugly fight when when they come for that. And and Democrats certainly are going to fight the Social Security, Medicare, and some of the more domestic cuts. I don't see how they get these bills out of rules. I don't see how they get some of these spending bills out of the Appropriations Committee. It's just going to, I think it's just going to be one very loud, unproductive Congress. Now, I wrote that about a month and a half ago, but I didn't quite see any of this coming. <laughs> who did? That's, who, who did? Hey, Michael, let me ask you, you you've, you've had two pretty good salient questions about this. When you saw it going down, did you sit that back and go, holy shit? Or were you were you surprised or did you you expect it to be as 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 strangely uh it, it was to me it was like watching a, a cart full of pigs on the highway 
running into a cart full of, you know, uh, 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 cows. It was, it was just screaming and blood and that, and it was fascinating to see, but and you couldn't take your eyes away from it, but it was ultimately tragic. I guess my observation is that it surprised me that McCarthy lacked the gravitas or whatever the word is to rein in his caucus. Yeah. Thinking um, there were objectors to Nancy Pelosi being speaker within the Democratic caucus over several um, Congresses. And yet she always prevailed, um, that she ruled that caucus um, with an iron fist. Margaret Thatcher would be very proud of Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> uh, and so I guess it surprised me a bit that the five or six um, true MAGA um, Congress people, the Gates and um, Bobert and others, couldn't be persuaded to vote for McCarthy. And in the end, of course, they didn't even vote for McCarthy. They just voted present, uh, essentially uh, abstaining um, uh, from voting. So I guess that's what, what surprised me. What disappointed me was uh, McCarthy, because he has disappointed me for most of his political <laughs> career. Um, especially Tell us around what you really event. think. <laughs> well, you know, especially around the events of, of January 6th, his yes. flip-flopping and kneeling and, and the like uh, before Trump's altar after he knew what took place was was wrong and, and probably impeachable, um, was that he elected to do what John has just so well outlined for us, give up the House in order to obtain the title of Speaker, rather than uh, endeavor to be transformative, meaning going to the Democrats and say, look, we've got a problem. We, all of us have a problem. We, there are 15-ish people or 20-ish people maybe um, that are holding up the 400 and 14 of us that remain from doing real serious work on behalf of the American people. Let's figure out a way collectively for us to fix this. And he didn't. He, rather than be transformative and, and, you know, not suggesting a coalition government necessarily, but I think he could have reached out and at least made an effort. The Democrats may have said, you know what, it's your mess. We're not helping you. You never helped us. Um, thank you, but no thank you. But he never made the effort to see whether or not he could reach some agreement with Hakeem Jeffries or Nancy Pelosi um, to, to, to build a consensus that would be a productive one uh, and instead left us to what John describes probably as, as chaos over the next uh, two years. Um, and that was disappointing as i say i didn't expect that of him as so if you can't hold a, 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 an honest line that the january 6th insurrection was just that and who was responsible for it um then you've got no you know sort of moral compass and that's what i think he evidenced and i think that lack of a moral compass is what the uh holdouts were able to exploit because they knew he stood for nothing. they have not either. <laughs> they, they knew that he stood for nothing um, and therefore would give away everything uh, for the title. Whereas they do stand for something. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they do have, um, like Rand Paul in the Senate, they do have a, a more or less consistent point of view, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. They, they stand for something. Yeah. It might be that they, they stand for chaos, they but they stand for something. McCarthy... Um, stands for McCarthy, and you've described, Brian, um, Mitch McConnell as similarly um, being uh, all about uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Um, although Mitch McConnell He's makes smarter McCarthy, than... Mitch McCarthy, yeah. Mitch McConnell makes Kevin McCarthy um, look like a piker. And um, Yes, well, I think McCarthy does that just fine all by himself without anybody's help. And I, I'll, I'll go to that speech that he made when he when he uh, finally won, it was horrible, but we'll get to that in a minute. We've got to go to break, but I do want to say 
uh, the last thought or uh, this and we'll we'll pick it up on the other end of it and john maybe you can touch i thought what and michael and, and and john both what i thought was probably the most frightening thing in watching this for me knowing government was that if this is how it starts uh what's going to happen when we have a, a a government funding bill or they have to raise the debt ceiling this is going to be a that's when you will see a vote to vacate that's when you're going to see these people go up in arms since they don't and the government faces not only a huge shutdown but defaulting on its on on, on its debts i think that what they've set up is potentially and maybe there's a way to work around it because there are 212 Democrats. Maybe they'll find some Republicans that will help them because the Republicans really don't have that large of a, a majority in, in the House. It's workable if there's some reasonable Republicans. And that's the question mark. But the most frightening thing I saw out of this vote was the fact that we're staring at a potential government shutdown and default on debts. John? We certainly are. And the first test, again, will be uh, the default question, uh, yeah. the, the government spending is taken care of until September, uh, the end of September. So that's, you know, that's down the road. But but first, um, it's a very real possibility that uh, that the U.S. could for the first time default uh, on its debt, because it's not clear to me because of, of everything that Michael just described about Mr. McCarthy. Um, he he cares more. It, it seems like he cares more about being speaker than doing the than, job than doing the actual job of, of do of something like avoiding uh, a, a debt default. Now, do I think Kevin McCarthy wants the U.S. to default? No, I don't believe that. But I don't understand. And I haven't seen from him how he's how he's He's up for the task of navigating this. This is going to be really hard. Now, it's easy. It's easy on paper. It's, you know, 50 Republicans and just about all the Democrats, and this thing sells through with 300 votes. They send it over to the Senate. They pass it with 80-something. Biden signs it. We keep trucking. That's easy. That's how it should work. But that's not how it's going to work. And it's not clear to me that McCarthy is willing to, to risk it all, and for him, all is the speakership. Right. To walk over to Jeffrey's office and say, hey, Hakeem, you know, give me can you get me 40, 50 people? Let's pass this thing. Let's let's come up. What do you need? What would it take for your guys to vote for something like this and and get it done? They could do that in a couple of days. But I don't see any any not a scintilla of evidence that he would do that. Or I and, and I'll we'll stop at this as we go to the break. I think you're right. But I think it's because. He's too stupid to understand what's at stake. And those who are opposing him in the Republican Party don't care. They want the power. They want the, they they want the minority to rule over the majority. And while you're right, Michael, they do stand for something at the end of the day. And and I think you nailed it exactly. McCarthy does not. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. McCartney, McCarthy, McCartney, McCarthy will fall for anything. And they are going to put it over on him. And I think it's it portends the next two years are going to be filled with Hunter Biden's laptop, subpoenas at the wazoo, and nothing done in Congress, and at least on the House side. So on that wonderful thought, we'll take we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with more. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. And like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question, and we're talking about the wonderful, redoubtable Kevin McCarthy and the fact that he was able to secure the blessings of being the Speaker of the House, while, as even Nancy Pelosi said, he diminished the, the role 
and and that's something I assume they can, you know, if the if the rules package passes on Monday with nothing changed in it, it's set for two years. But the next time a speaker is elected again, they could change the rule. Package. Right. Yes. Yes. John. Yes. The, this rules package will expire when the 118th Congress expires on January 3rd, 20, I guess, uh, 2025. And 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 God only knows what's going to expire before then. <laughs> well, oh my God! So well, my patience, my patience with the folks we cover might expire by then. Oh, I'm already there. So <laughs> thank God there's Jim Beam somewhere. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about it before we go on because there are a couple other things we want to talk about this week. The last thing I wanted to talk about and was the speeches that were made uh, at the end. And I there were a couple of, I think it exposed <clears throat> McCarthy for his shallowness. Uh, I, you know, I heard Santos praised it, but he probably lied about that as he was making the uh, white supremacist hand signal while voting for McCarthy. But um, I think there were a couple of things that scare me. He said, McCarthy said, if we all work together, quote, there is no obstacle we can overcome. And I really thought someone should have proofread that speech before he said it. And then he he kept referring to Abraham Lincoln dealing with the Civil War and said he watched Abraham Lincoln do this. Right. And right. I'm going, and he said it more than one. He doubled down on that. I'm going, what the hell are you talking about? Did you see a movie? Were you were, you weren't there, pal? But <laughs> I I watched the speech again last night. Um, I was talking to you and texting with you, Brian, and and some of my friends and and some coworkers. So Friday night I was distracted. Um, I watched it again last night, and I, I'm trying to be objective about this. this is a, a, an objective opinion. This is not an anti Kevin McCarthy opinion. I just like you, uh, and and Michael in your career, I'm sure you've heard a, a million speeches from folks as well. That was one of the worst political speeches I can remember, with the one exception of the 2016 Republican National Convention, which was just, <laughs> uh, which was just two or three nights of, of really bad political speeches. But this one's up there. Um, at the Lincoln references, uh, it, it was just like nothing, nothing, nothing happened this week. That this just I sailed to the speakership. And, you know, he's quoting the song about um, on the streets of Bakersfield, which may be may be the worst song ever recorded. It's it's I listen. I, I wasn't familiar with it. I paused. The I was <laughs> I paused the speech. I was like, well, I, I wasn't aware that Bakersfield, California, had these mean streets that Kevin McCarthy cut his teeth on. And I go listen to the song. It starts out like a polka song. There's Dwight Yoakam all of a sudden, and the song, and this is fitting, this goes back to what Michael was saying about Mr. McCarthy, the song is about nothing. The song has no point. It's just a song. And so, as you can tell, I was not impressed uh, by Mr. McCarthy's speech. And, th th and remember, this is the speech that he's been waiting his entire adult life to give. Say what you will about Trump's 2016 inaugural speech. And it, as George W. Bush told Hillary Clinton, walking out of the Capitol afterwards, that was some strange shit. It was. But it wasn't a terrible speech. We just all were shocked by its contents about American carnage. Um, that And he hadn't been waiting his whole life. And, he and, probably skated on his ass and made it right. up on the fly. But <laughs> Trump's speech was on brand and Trump's yeah. speech was about something. And it was it, it did tell us where he wanted to take the country. It was crystal clear. It was a crystal clear speech politically. I don't I don't know what McCarthy wants to do with the speakership still after all this time. Well, I think there's one thing, and Michael, you can speak to this probably better than anyone. They have talked about uh, holding the DOJ accountable for being politicized, which many will say occurred during, you know, uh, uh, the previous ownership of, of uh, you know, during the Trump administration. But all right, if they sit down and start subpoenaing Democrats, how do you think, I mean, is, how do you hold the DOJ accountable? What can they actually do? Is that, is that just more pie in the sky rhetoric or can they actually affect change that would 
uh, undermine the DOJ? Well, that's a funny question to ask because it's unclear what it is that they're trying to do. If they're trying to embarrass um, former FBI Director Ray or uh, former FBI Director Comey or current FBI Director Ray, um, and they're going to dig up um, and resuscitate the Russia probe and how it got started. And if they're going to go after Rod Rosenstein for um, triggering the independent counsel appointment of Mueller, I mean, they can they could dig up that stuff and it'll be very Benghazi hearing like it'll be very uh, much about destroying people as opposed to finding out whether there's merit to um, the the assertions about the politicalization of the uh, bureau and by out uh, of the DOJ. But the truth is, of course, when I say it's a funny question, if they want to start doing a true investigation of the politicization of the FBI and, and the, the DOJ. Well, I hope they'll start with the um, Palmer raids in the 1919 period by Attorney General Palmer, who rounded up unconstitutionally uh, socialists and others who he didn't like their politics of, or the, the uh, FBI of J. Edgar Hoover. Um, I mean, this these to, to, to say that the FBI and the DOJ don't have politics in their DNA is not um, is to defy reality. And so it depends on what they're what they're trying to do. If there are, you know, if this is the beginnings of um, a church committee commission, sort of, are there ways that these organizations, like the intelligence organizations that church investigated in the seventies, uh, are there ways that these organizations can be made better? Should there be ombudsman should the inspectors general have more powers you know should the white house connection to the fbi and the doj be separated further to ensure that we don't have what we saw during the trump bar years i mean if you wanted to really do that then there may be something of value in it but if you're just going after the people who they perceive were the enemies of trump uh then it's just a waste of everybody's time and money. Well, I, I would think I, I, if they're really going to talk about the politicization of the DOJ, their first their first witness should be Michael Cohen. So that, that would love to see how that goes down. I, I'm sure Michael would have a, a few words to say about the politicization of the DOJ, and that was under Trump. But I don't I think you're right. I think it's going to be so it's a to follow up my my interesting question. Do you think that we're going to sit there and 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 if they subpoena, look, a lot of the Republicans didn't answer subpoenas from the House or refused to show up. I don't think we do you think we would see that with the Democrats or you, I mean, Hillary sat and took every question for you know how many days. Is that going right. to happen? It's a, it's a good question. You know, the Republicans are going to face potentially the reap what you sow um, proposition, which is they refused to cooperate with congressional oversight, um, you know, fully and completely, and thereby um, emasculated the powers of Congress to oversee the executive branch, that which has been, you know, ongoing since the founding of the of the country. And if the Democrats say, "Hey, look, you know what?" Good for the goose, good for the gander. Um, you wanna you wanna hold these hearings. You wanna do this. Uh, refer us to the DOJ uh, for contempt or or take us to court. But um, we're just not gonna play ball with you. Now, is that good? You know, this tit for tat um, type of behavior is what has gotten us in the mess that we're in over the over the last you know several decades. Um, but I don't know if you're the Republicans 
asking now to be treated differently than you treated the Democrats. I'm not sure why the Democrats would say, oh, yeah, no, we're we're more fair-minded than you, and so therefore we'll cooperate. So I guess it depends, Brian, on what is it that they're being asked for. If they're talking about the policy that gave rise to the pullout in Afghanistan, then maybe the Democrats are are much more cooperative because that's you know an appropriate thing for there to be oversight of, as uncomfortable as it may be. Um, if they want to have meaningful oversight of U.S. immigration policy, as uncomfortable as that might be, maybe the administration participates. But if it's cooperate with the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop, or the um, you know, um, personal criticisms of um, current and past FBI directors and the instigation of the uh, Mueller probe. I think they basically tell them, you know, see you in court. John? Yeah, you had your hand up. <laughs> I was puzzled by something else. Um I I don't I don't expect uh, I don't ex- I don't expect you know, full cooperation from the Democrats. Uh, there's already been reporting about various ways the White House is looking to not block the investigations, but um, you know maybe not cooperate quickly, uh, not provide documents, emails, uh, witnesses. Uh, you know I'm sure the White House is going to claim a whole lot of executive privilege, uh, which is ironic because the former president <clears throat> wants to still have executive privilege. Even though he's not an executive, uh, right? Even though he's been out of office for a, a good long while now, um, so I, I expect that, uh, like Michael said, you'll see some Democrats on some of these investigations show up and answer the questions that they can. That and they'll claim privilege and, and and things like that. The fifth, uh, too. But you know, the Afghanistan investigation has the potential to be very important. I covered the Pentagon for years, for over a decade, and as I wrote this week. The, the the military cannot be force fed enough lessons about their mistakes. There there is no amount of of lessons that they don't need to hear. Now they were put in a very bad position by the Biden by the Biden White House, um, and you know I'm sure the military feels they did the best they could. But the the Pentagon and the White House they need a real assessment of what went wrong, and a whole lot went wrong. Um, there were a lot of bad assumptions well, made. There was bad intel involved. That needs to be looked at, too. So Chairman McCall has an opportunity to do something very important here. But we uh, will have a story soon previewing this. And there are doubts whether he's going to you know, look at the decision making and figure out what went wrong and the assumptions that were made. Or, uh, to Michael's point, if he's just going to go after if, if he's just going to use it to score political points. And there are a lot of doubters in town. Uh, McCall has become a, a more serious-minded Republican. There was a time when he was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. He was considered a hardliner on immigration. That shows how the party has really moved to the right. McCall's moved more to the center. At least that's our perception. We'll see. I mean, this is an important investigation, and, and hopefully he does it right. Well, you bring up two things. Uh, one, I'll close out this one thought on. I think that the decision was always coming to get out of Afghanistan. And so whoever made it was going to after, you know, two generations. I mean, there were sons and fathers who fought there. You know, there were sons who fought there when it first happened. Then their fathers were there. And then the sons came in 20 years later. We we were there for a while. So oh, yeah. you know, getting out was the right decision. And how they affected getting it out, I think that's on the military. And I've talked to many members of the military who said we handled that poorly. The mm-hmm. decision to get out once made was was made and we did not effectively get out in a way that was was uh commensurate with the uh the issue at hand and one one more thing about that uh foreign affairs committee investigation on afghanistan um it can be easy to forget that it was trump who cut the deal with the taliban yes. and stipulated that the u.s will leave after a certain amount of time biden extended the u.s stay and then decided like you said it was just time to go so there are question if McCall is going to do this right we'll get an indication on who they're talking to and what they're looking at if they're also 
uh, bringing in former Trump administration officials and trying to get their hands on documents and emails from from the previous administration. If they're not, I think we'll have our answer. And then you also brought up the border, which is where we'll close out this uh, segment talking about the border this week. Uh, President Biden is going to Mexico to see if there can be any um, movement in the problems of immigration. Um, there have been calls that he's done things illegally as president and that he shouldn't. And some of the decisions he's made are uh, detrimental to dream uh, to uh, those who are the dreamers and to actual legal immigrants. And I'm going to just start out by saying I've been covering the border for 40 years. And by God, there has been a problem. There is no crisis that we haven't seen in the last 40 years. It began when uh, the oil economy crashed in Mexico, it has continued and there hasn't been a president among them, not a Republican or a Democrat, who has done anything more than kick the can down the road. So, Michael, starting with you, is there anything that you see that the Demo that uh, Biden can do legally? Is there are there prosecutions in the offing? Is there are they going to allow people? And I am sorry, and I'm going to take issue with anybody who calls it an open border. That's a bullshit call. But anyway, go ahead. I don't know what they're going to do on the border. I think that this border problem, as you've articulated, Brian, which has been in the making for 100 years, um, yeah, requires serious a serious bipartisan effort. George W. Bush had almost uh, a plan in place, but then 9-11 um, sidetracked his presidency around domestic issues. Uh, I, I think that it really requires a group of very serious-minded representatives, House and Senate both, to figure out what it is that is sensible border policy and then try to put it um, into law. But this seat-of-the-pants behavior that we see currently and that we saw uh, in previous administrations is not going to find us a permanent solution and a permanent solution seems appropriate. I would say though, and I've said this, I think before on our air, that which requires real serious analysis is our foreign policy toward the countries from which these um, people are fleeing. Because if we're not truthful to ourselves about the impact that our economic policies have on the economies of these countries and what that is doing to their um, the well-being of their citizens and why they're fleeing, um, then we'll never uh, come up with a, a smart and fair and humane um, solution. If you think about it, if you're a mom with a a small child living somewhere in Central America, what does it take for you to get up and walk hundreds of miles through horrible conditions to find yourself at, at, a, at a border wall? It takes total desperation. And so you have to say, well, what, what created such total desperation? And American what foreign policy. We well, what role did we have in creating it? And what role can we play in um, undoing it so that that mom thinks it's better to stay than to go? And that I haven't seen any evidence of in our um, foreign policy. And I think that um, I'm not likely to see it again um, in this Congress. I, so, I yeah I don't think you'll see it. I know and the president always says it's ultimately up to Congress but again I'll go back to Smedley Butler who wrote 1927 or 20 uh, you know war is a racket he was a Marine Corps uh, second uh, most highly decorated member of the Marine Corps and a general or whatever and you know high highest ranking Marine Corps and said you know he fought down there and said he was you know basically a front man for uh, American business interests and and point and case in point if we're really concerned about the, the uh, immigration into this country, 
then they would enforce the Simpson-Mazzoli Act, which they do not. And the Simpson-Mazzoli Act dictates that uh, before that, while it was illegal to cross the border, it was not illegal to hire them once they crossed the border. Now it's supposedly illegal to do it, and none of the large companies that hire illegal immigrants are ever prosecuted because it is important for the economy to have very cheap labor, which is supplied by those who cross illegally. John, I'll give you the last word on this issue before we take off for break and come back and talk football. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll try to be brief. I don't see any prospect of uh, any major or minor or any uh, immigration legislation passing. And, you know, the 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 administration has certainly tried to prioritize a, a, at least an examination of U.S. foreign policy uh, to to your guys's points uh, toward the countries from which uh, migrants are coming. Um, I haven't seen any very much progress made on, on altering, you know, the, the overall picture. And there's just no, there's just no way they're going to pass uh, any immigration bill that, that could get to Biden's desk. Anything that, that McCarthy and Republicans pass is going to be, you know, really hard, right. And that's going to die in the Senate. That wouldn't even have, that couldn't even get passed uh, out of the Senate Republican conference. They 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 wouldn't support a lot of what would be in a in a McCarthy immigration bill or a Matt Gates immigration bill. And just one going back to the McCarthy sell off of power. One thing I wanted to mention before uh, we talk football is <clears throat> I thought it was very telling that Friday night Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert before the final vote drama went on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News before they gaveled back in. And Matt Gates told Hannity that he ran out of things to ask Kevin McCarthy for. McCarthy, it doesn't seem like pushback on very much except no uh, no automatic Freedom Caucus uh, position in in, uh, in leadership. But Matt Gates, I just thought that was so telling. Matt Gates was laughing. He was laughing at the Speaker of the House and saying, Kevin gave me everything I asked for. I ran out of asks. I just, I just think that's incredible. And and to add, in you know, uh, whatever insult to injury, with all that, he never got Gates's vote. Right. He he got Gates's abstention. Never. But he never it. got Gates's vote. He, right. He gave everything to Gates that he wanted and couldn't get his vote. According that's to Gates. Important. According, According to, to sure. Yeah, yeah. and, and he's as full of shit as the next son of a bitch. So, I, I mean, him and George Santos are full. But I, I believe he did get pretty much everything he wanted. Yeah. I think it was a gig in McCarthy's side. And I think that'll come back to, it, it might backfire on him because like we pointed out, McCall, Rogers, Dunn, Bacon, others are not happy with Matt Gates, And no. so this... What he takes for granted in the rules and the change of rules may not occur because one thing I think one of the things they miscalculated, and I don't think anybody counted on it. The Democrats stuck together at 212. It has been my experience in the in, in covering Congress. It's always the Democrats who feast on their own. They cannibalize themselves. This time it was the Republicans. And the Democrats sat by and did not, as Michael pointed out earlier, it's like, hey, it's, and, and I, I was even told this by members of the Democratic caucus, it's their problem, let them figure it out. Right. They're letting the country see who they really are, and this is going to hurt them for a long time. So that's, I, I think at the end of the day, what Matt Gates may have done in being so cocksure is shoot himself in the foot. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. What percentage was um, Matt Gates reelected by? Good question. Uh, I think he was, uh, you know, was elected. Uh, um, it wasn't as close as it could have been. But well, I, I mean, like in Boebert's case, it seemed as if like her district was saying, maybe we don't want her. But in Marjorie Taylor Greene's case, she she uh, skated in pretty easily. And I was just wondering whether... Gates yeah. also has the type of district where he just doesn't have to ever worry about. Well, yeah, I don't think he right. does. Re That's well, correct. they didn't have a, a really good candidate either. Rebecca Jones, a Democrat. Let's see if I got yeah. this right. He Rebecca, won. 
Yeah, he won easily. Seven to thirty-two. Yeah. 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 But only. But it's interesting. It's interesting going back to to John's point about the pack and stuff. They they the Republicans tired of Madison Corthon, and they primaried him right out of his seat. Right. And um, now they've got a reliably conservative uh, person in that in that seat. They knew they wouldn't lose the seat to a Democrat, but they wanted Cawthon out and he's out. It'll be interesting to see whether or not an effort is made um, is is makeable in these districts. It may be that they're just they're just not um, it's just not doable. I mean, remember, Remember the, that's true. Uh, yeah. Remember the congressman um, Francis Rooney from from Naples area of Florida during the uh, Trump impeachment. He said, "You know, I think this call with Ukraine is unethical and immoral and probably impeachable." Well, he's he's no longer a congressman. Um, Hello. Just you know, just like like. Um, so you're saying, and so the so the question is. Um, is he can someone write against him in a primary and beat him yeah, and, yeah. and the Republicans keep the seat? Interesting to see two years from now how that will spill out. His deal with him would almost make it seem that they couldn't spend money on a pack to go after him, which is maybe what he was trying to do. But we'll wait and see. That could be a, that's going to be an interesting race in 2024. 20, uh, uh, so, listen, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about. But we always end on sports. We'll, we'll come back and talk a little sports. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and still with us, Michael Zeldin and John Bennett. And we're going to finish up today talking about a horrific injury that we saw on the football field uh, in the uh, Bengals game. And mm -hmm. it was um, we're looking at Mr. Hamlin, who collapsed and was uh, almost died. And he is now uh, tweeted out for the first time that he's OK. And there's all kinds of speculation as to what's going to happen in the NFL because of of this injury uh what did you think of uh, when damar hamlin went down uh we'll start with uh, michael you i wasn't watching the game although i read that it was among the most watched games going into the game <laughs> excuse me before before the hamlin injury there's, there's a high viewership there i've only read about it um i i, I don't do well watching things like that. I, I can't get it out of my mind. Like watching when Joe Theismann had his ankle and his leg broken. And it yeah, I've never watched yeah, that. I've never that's, watched that's that. That's a hard one to watch. But I watched it, and I'll, and I'll tell you, John, and, and Michael, when I watched it live, um, I was surprised because it was a glancing blow. It wasn't that it. I've seen more horrific blows given. Uh, he initiated the tackle. He was the safety. Um uh, for the bills and went down against the Bengals. And uh, John, were you surprised when you saw it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's a routine play that um, as we record now, I've got football on, I've been flipping around a couple of games <laughs> and I've seen, you know, the Packers similar... aren't on till later. I'm going to watch that one. <laughs> I uh, I've seen similar plays in, in three different games. There's a college uh, national championship game for FCS on. I've seen a similar play in that game already. So um, I don't think this is a matter of uh, I don't I, I feel horrible for the player and I'm so glad that he's it looks like going to be okay. I don't think he's ever going to play football, football again. again. Nope. But but I'm glad he's going to be okay. Very happy for him and his family and his teammates. You know that's 
you go through a lot with your teammates and, and just, so it's Who wants a 24 year old to drop dead on, you know, right. TV. I, mean, I, mean, television, sure. yeah. I don't think that this is not, this is not a matter of NFL reform or shut down the league, or it's not safe or they're taking advantage of these guys. This was, this was really just a, a it was just circumstance. It, it just, it's never happened before. You know, this isn't like 50 years ago, injury. John Hughes, well, there was a guy who dropped dead, uh, but he had a blood clot that came loose right. from his head. He was walking yeah. back to the huddle after a hit, pop, dead. The only time that's ever happened. And right. they continued the game. And they continued yeah. the game. <laughs> 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 and a, and a, and a yeah, few minutes later, the game continued. The <laughs> ah, well, he's dead. I, I mean, it's not like, you know, it was Teddy Roosevelt who got involved as president at the beginning of the, you know, the uh, 20th century who uh, re-regulated the game because there were people dying of football injuries, you know, all the time. Yeah. I will say this. I'll push back a little bit because this as a player and as a coach is something I do not understand. I, the, they, they talk about changing, you know, helmets. So you, you have fewer uh, concussions. I'm going to just say, if you would just wear now, all right, back up. There haven't been any major changes in, in, football technology since I played the helmet I wore when I played football, I could put on today and get in a game and it would be technically fine. So there hasn't been any, you know, in the 40 years before that, right back in the twenties, there were leather helmets there in, and they used to not even, some didn't even wear helmets. And there are those players who tell you there'd be fewer head injuries if we didn't wear helmets because we wouldn't use our heads to spear. That said, if you just wore the equipment that is mandated, the thing I despise about watching the NFL is they wear stripped down pads, thin pads. You have, there's no breast protection in those pads. They're wearing like children's pads. In some cases, there are no knee pads. A knee to your helmet will cause a concussion. A knee pad to a helmet may not. So some of the things that they're talking about, I would just like to see the NFL mandate that their players play with the equipment that the safety equipment that they should quit hollowing it out, quit not wearing it just so you can gain speed, make everyone wear the equipment. And number two, and probably the biggest thing, quit playing on carpeted concrete, play on mandate that all teams play on a real grass field. And I think the chances of any serious injury will be severely uh, diminished if we just did those two things. However, the money in the NFL and the excitement that we all crave dictates that the, it's not. That's my thought for what for what it's worth. <laughs> no, no, no reply. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's almost like the the defensive backs are wearing uh, the same shoulder pads as the punter. Yeah, and, and, and you know they want to move, and and they don't want to be restricted when they're you know reaching for a pass or trying to defend the ball or or make a tackle, right? And 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 those things can be restricted, but they're restricted for a reason. So yeah. you know it would be nice uh, if they enforced uh, their own rules, which is ironic for a league which over officiates the games, especially to manufacture these close finishes. We've talked about this here. Yes. You know, so yeah, I'm not going to make you wear the shoulder pads that will keep you safe, but I'm going to over officiate the fourth quarter of every game to try to get it down to a one score game. So we can jack up the rating and sell more pickup trucks, you know? Um, so it is ironic. That, I mean, this is not a league that's innocent of very much and, <laughs> you know, that that's another area you make a very, I, I had not thought of that. That's, that's a very good point. I mean, you know, I played in yeah. high school. We, yes. we, did stuff, we did stuff to our equipment for the same reasons. This is, you know, it's not new. I don't know if Mr. Hamlin uh, was, was wearing. I saw his shoulder pads. He wasn't wearing those. If you want breastplate protection, they make the, instead of the V cut, right. Which leaves a lot of it open. The lower cut on them protects yeah. and provides a lot more. And you can make them with light Kevlar instead of the cheap plastic. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's, it's not impossible to be adequately protected. And I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that it in the future, if you want to prevent some of the more notorious injuries, particularly some of the concussions and the yeah. knee injuries, make them wear the equipment. And for the love of God, and I've played on, carpeted back you know astroturf and left a ton of skin when i skinned myself on it quit playing on artificial turf 
Just don't allow it to happen because it's not conducive to safety. Who wants to play a contact sport on carpeted concrete? You have to be that, nuts. Well, that I, that I, can go both ways. The the field turf surfaces that they're playing with now, for instance, I think so. I'm watching right now as we record um, the Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals, and they're playing on field turf. I I would I would gather ownership matters a little bit here. This field in Cincinnati, field turf, is safer as a playing surface than the grass field maintained maintained by Dan Snyder at FedEx Field. So, it, well, it, that's it, Dan. <laughs> I don't think grass is necessarily the the you know a silver bullet's going to fix a lot of this stuff. It matters when you get a cheapskate like Snyder as your owner, who kind of gave up a few years ago, and and that field, even Clinton Portis, who was well, he's now a convict, but uh, Clinton Portis, who was a <laughs> Snyder, a friend of Snyder, he even criticized the the surface at FedEx. So oh, I, I've been on FedEx. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you I've that. I've been I've been on these field turf surfaces, and and I have too. They're not quite, and you know, this isn't Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. No, but what it does, those field, for leg injuries. What that, yeah, the fields, uh, the field turf surfaces. What they do is create uh, more of the knee and the ankle injuries. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem with them. Michael? Okay. No. Well, I would just want to say one thing, which was that the NFL's emergency health action team, whatever it was, kudos to them. I mean, this was yes. a fellow who whose heart stopped effectively on the field um, and then again in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but on the field they saved his life. They were yes. on that field in a matter of seconds and the ambulance was there within five minutes. And so, yes, I don't disagree with anything you've said, especially turf field um, on, on hard under um, surfaces. Um, but kudos to them that they saved this young man's life uh, by having a, a, an effective emergency response. Absolutely. Plan. And they were probably the lowest paid people on the field that day. That's right. That's, that's, that's it's <laughs> the guys who hold the the guys who hold the the yardage sticks and then the EMTs probably. Yeah, that's the EMTs probably were. Uh, but God bless you. You're absolutely right there, Michael. Well, listen, guys, I I really appreciate it. It's great to see you guys again. Well, happy New Year to everyone. I hope you had a great time. Next week we'll have some more fun and frivolity. Uh, Michael, you'd like to uh, plug your podcast. My podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It really is mostly about books on topics which I think are interesting. This coming week, I I release my interview with Nina Totenberg on wow. her wonderful book with uh, about her relationship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then the next two weeks are part one and part two, talking to Carl Bernstein about his memoir, Chasing History. His you know childhood growing up um, in the newsroom and um, onward and upward from there sounds great. Available on, on available on all wherever fine podcasts are sold. Exactly. <laughs> and John, the newsletter and the column CQ afternoon briefing. Uh, you can subscribe at CQ.com and the uh, the weekender column as we referred to it uh, rollcall.com every Friday. And we will catch you next time. My book is called Free the Press, and you can catch uh, my column at salon.com every week. So once again, for everybody here, this is Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.